Joining us now on the line here on Home Court, NBA contributor. He's part of NBA TV. He does a lot of writing. You've probably seen it, read it. He also has the Hang Time podcast. Seku Smith is joining us now. Seku, thank you for take, for taking some time this afternoon with us. No problem. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. It's a little chilly up here in uh, Toronto, but not as cold <laughs> as it should be in November. But let's let's jump right into it, Seku. Our poll question this week, we kind of tied it into your story that you wrote earlier in the season before it started and before we kick things off about the best duos in the NBA. And our poll question, we put it out there. Right now, we've got Durant and Curry leading with 66%. But when you look at that article you wrote before the season started and now two weeks in with all the injuries, how would you rank your your first team that you put out that included the Curry, Durant, uh, Westbrook, and George, and I believe also Harden and Chris Paul were in there. Yeah, I mean, the, the injuries have kind of taken some of the starts out of some of those duos, to be honest with you. Um, you know, but when the lights are on on the biggest stage, I still think that, that Kevin Durant and, and Steph Curry are the guys that you have to look at. Um, they were so good in the finals last year. I know not a lot of people talked about performance that Steph had because Durant was so good winning finals MVP, but Steph had a great final. Um, overshadowed, of course, by what Durant did and, and also what LeBron and, and Kyrie were doing on the other side. Um, but to me, it's about the championships and the ultimate goal is to, to walk at the end of the season. And those two guys have done it and could potentially do it again and again over the course of the next few seasons. When it's all said and done, I mean, those two will have a case to make uh, that they are the best duo of all time, uh, presumably, if they spend enough time together. Is that something you look at when making uh, this, I guess, or having this debate, how much time a duo spends together? Is there a certain amount of seasons, certain amount of titles that you think they have to accumulate before we start talking about them in the conversation with the greatest duos of all time? Yeah, and I, I think Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, um, you know, M- Magic and Kareem, um, even Kobe and Shaq might have something to say about Durant and Curry being the best of all time. Um, they've got some time to go. Uh, they've had, abs- you know, an absolutely fantastic <laughs> one season plus together, but they got a lot more time to spend with each other before we could, I think, put them in that greatest of all time category. They, they're certainly one of the most dynamic you know, one-two punches we've seen just because they can score from basically all over the floor. Um, but, yeah, I think time, you know, has a lot to do with it. I felt like Kobe and Shaq really shortchanged themselves. If they'd have stayed together, who knows how many championships they met, might have played for and won, um, what kind of numbers they would have piled up together. Uh, you know, but there's so many things that go into it. The, the You know, personalities, where you are in your career, that dynamic has to, you know, be kind of interconnected and locked in and you know it's sometimes it's not meant to be for two great players to be together you know for a duration of their career you know one guy might want to run his own ship as Kyrie you know certainly did this past summer getting out of Cleveland you know the ambitions are different the time that you're at in your career might be different than the other guys so you don't take it for granted you enjoy it while you have them and, and watch those guys play at a high level and and just hope it lasts for as long as it can. Seku, a great player in his own right, is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, he doesn't have a great duo to, to back with him, but I mean, I know you looked at him as an MVP candidate. Um, obviously, his numbers off the chart, and we know what he brings. But do you think he can do it based on the win total that the Bucks may get this season? Because you know that usually, you know what the standard is usually for MVP candidates. 
sure. I mean, Russ, Russ Westbrook kind of lowered the bar in terms of, you know, that, that, that kind of metric of the best player on the best team, you know, generally being the guy that's the front runner for the MVP. Um, you know, the Thunder weren't a, a top two or three team last year, and, and Russ still won it, but he did it on the back of the historic season. He had the triple-doubles. Giannis is going to have a tougher time sustaining what we've seen from him early. Um, you know, and there are a bunch more MVP ladders to come on NBA.com. He's just number one on the first one. Uh, so I don't know that he he or anybody rooting for him should get too comfortable because, it, you know, you, you're trying to go out and be the league's leading scorer and, and most dynamic individual talent on a nightly basis on a team where you, you know, as you mentioned, he doesn't have a second guy who can really hold that, standard up when he has an off night. So he's going to have to try and do it night after night at that elite level. And at 22, you know, five seasons in, that's something that's rarely done. It's going to be very difficult for him to sustain his level of play throughout the course of an entire regular season when, you know, everybody's going to be game planning for him and preparing to to slow him down, stop him as best they can. Um, It'll prove this season if he's ready to take that step into, you know, that next step into greatness or if he still needs time to get there. Thank you, Smith, of the NBA joining us right now on TSN Home Court. Thank you. When you look at the Celtics, they lose Gordon Hayward in the opening night. Are you surprised without Gordon Hayward that they've been able to put things together now going seven straight wins in their season this early on? No, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, not after watching that team last year. That they had do what they did, you know, wrestle away the, the top seed going into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference from Cleveland and everybody else. They, you know, they're built on a framework of the group being more important than one individual player. Uh, and it was certainly a blow to lose Gordon Hayward five minutes and 15 seconds into his Celtic tenure. I mean, nobody saw that coming, of course, with the kind of injury he had, knowing that it would wipe out his season. But you give credit to Brad Stevens. Um, for what he's done there and, and, and Danny Ainge for what they've built in terms of just an attitude and, and a way, a style and in a, in a, in a way they operate as a group. Um, I think Al Horford has been fantastic. Kyrie has been as dynamic as you would have hoped. Um, and the young guys, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they stepped up and, and played their tails off. And Boston is not going to go away quietly. They're going to be a team that I think is there all season long and certainly could be a factor in the playoffs because they weren't going to just be their stars this year. It was, you know, it was going to, a lot of it was going to fall on the shoulders of Kyrie and Gordon Hayward and Al Horford, but they were going to be more than that if Brad Stevens had anything to do with it. And he's just going to have to do, you know, again, he's going to have to do a great coaching job with that team. Sticking with that earlier theme of duo Seku and looking at the Raptors specifically, I think what sets Lowry and DeRozan apart from a lot of those guys on your list is they sort of came together organically. They're self-made stars, and they did it together here in Toronto. When you look at Lowry and DeRozan, what area of their games have you seen the most, the most growth from over the last few years? I think mostly it's been about how well they play off of each other. Um, you know, and I think they were really good players in their own right. But when you take two good players and they sit as well as those two guys do uh, on and off the floor and, their per- you know, and their personality, you guys know how fun they are to watch, you know, riding each other and, and giving each other the business, you know, 
um, in interviews and, and stuff like that, that makes it uh, even more enjoyable. And you're right, it, that's an organic partnership that is different from some of these other um you know, situations that have been manipulated by either the player or the franchise where you're picking a couple of guys and hoping that they they mesh well together and, and, and can play off of each other. Um, I think the other part about what Kyle and, and DeMar do that, that I really like is they know how to step aside for each other and allow the other one to get rolling and not concern themselves with who's getting shots who's going to you know, be the hot hand that night, who's going to be the guy that carries the load that night. And that takes some serious ego checking um, you know, because not every player is going to be able to go out there and allow the other guy to get going like that and not care and not be concerned about, well, did I hold up mine to the bargain? Did I get my numbers? Did I do what I was supposed to do? Um, I think the, the next step for them, of course, is just finding a way to break through in the playoffs. They got to the conference finals a couple years ago. You know, if you want to be considered one of those great dynamic duos, you know, you have to have a victory on that biggest stage. you got to have a chance where you get a, get a breakthrough moment. Um, and I think Bradley Beal and John Wall are, are in a similar situation where, you know, everybody knows how talented they are, but they have yet to, to have that breakthrough moment. And uh, I think the Raptors and the Wizards are going to be right in that mix in Eastern Conference this year based on the, the value and the play of those dynamic duos that they have. Seiko, you wrote the story. We're going to keep talking duos, obviously. One that we haven't really got to see a lot of, James Harden and Chris Paul. When he's back, how do you think they're going to work out? And can they can that backcourt, that team, be better than they were last year? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if, if whatever the measurement was using for better, if it just wins, I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if they can be better just in a, from a win-loss perspective. They need to be better from a you know, when they get to the playoffs and, and, you know, James Harden was completely out of gas, there was nobody there to kind of lift him up. This time, Chris Paul has to be there to, to tote that load if Harden, you know, is in a situation where uh, the other team has figured out a way to limit his effectiveness and, or if he's worn out from having to grind early in the season without Chris Paul. Um, you know, CP3 needs to be the guy that steps up and and, and carries that, that mantle for him. Um, I wasn't as big a fan of of that partnership when the trade went down. I just didn't see, and I'm sorry, not a trade, but you know, when the when the decision really for Chris Paul to get out of the Clipperland and go there, it's more than a trade. It was just his decision to leave the Clippers and, and start over. I didn't see the fit that apparently those guys and some other people around the league did. I've talked to a lot of scouts, front office people who love the idea of those two guys playing together. Um, but to me, it seemed like it was those two guys and there was a third move that was supposed to happen that obviously didn't. Carmelo Anthony's in Oklahoma City. Um, I, I just don't know how you take two guys that ball dominant and keep them both effective if they're playing together. But they're great players. And, and they, you know, generally great players figure out how to sacrifice for the greater good in a situation like that. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how that relationship evolves throughout the rest of the season. Some unexpected storylines early in the season, especially coming from the wide-open Eastern Conference. Is there a team out there uh, so early in the season, Sekou, that has surprised you, the biggest surprise team so far? Sure. Look, there are several in the East. Um, Detroit, Orlando, even Philly. Um, I I know a lot of people had high hopes for Philly that they would maybe finally turn a corner with their young guys being healthy and being ready to play, even though Markel Fultz, of course, is 
fall into the Philly curse, uh, you know, that red shirt season or that abbreviated rookie season or in hiccup rookie season. Um, but I, I love what I'm seeing from those teams in particular. Andre Drummond has come back a much improved free throw shooter. Aaron Gordon looks like he's ready to take a step. And Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons are, out. I mean, they're outstanding young talents, dynamic guys, you know, triple doubles for, for Simmons already. Embiid, if you look at his numbers, just crunch them in terms of the amount of time he's on the floor and what kind of impact he has. You know, it's very hard to imagine somebody doing more with less in terms of time. Um, but I love all, I love seeing what the you know Pacers young guys are doing and Victor Oladipo and, and Demonis Sabonis. You know, we pay, everybody paying that deal when it went down, you know, thinking that they got fleeced, giving Paul George away for a couple of guys who were not all-stars. But there's a very good chance if Oladipo can sustain his level of play that he'll be in the mix. You know, his name will at least be mentioned as a potential all-star in the Eastern Conference. So it's it's early. I understand that. You know, I mean, people are just throwing away the Halloween decorations. You haven't even gotten to Thanksgiving yet um, down here. So you can't make too many lasting impressions about what you've seen. But I, I usually go until Christmas. I tell people all the time, by Christmas, I think the league has, will have settled itself a little bit. People will be in a groove, and, and teams will be kind of who and what they are for the duration, and you can get a better gauge of, of what we're seeing. Right now, it's an adrenaline rush, good and bad, around the league. Like the teams that start well, they can have that for a few weeks. The team that's come out of the gate struggling, they have to you know continue to fight and, and figure out who and what they're going to be you know in that first few weeks of the season. But by Christmas, we'll know you know what we see now and what we see by then, what's real and what's not. Thank you. Thank you for the time. We appreciate you joining us today. Sure. Thank you. Once again, NBA contributor Sekou Smith joining us here on Home Court. We continue on. We'll talk more as we look ahead to this week in the NBA. You're listening to Home Court right here on TSN.